Well, good morning. How are you? Yeah, you're doing good. You're doing good. Some of you are really good at saying good morning. Some of you are not. I had the privilege this morning. I walked up and I greeted everybody in the balcony. Those that were sitting there and they are so sweet, very kind people. You should meet them sometime. And y'all should meet these guys. They're pretty nice. And one of the things that I wanted to point out today was that, uh, like I said, some of you are just really good at good mornings. You just really are. You make everybody feel warm and welcome. You make us feel invited in. And so I think you are a prime candidate for the first impressions team. All right. I think you'd be so good at it. You already know how to do this. All right. One of the things that I want to share with you is that everybody that comes to our church, right? There's two things about them. One is um, when they come first time, you know, one of them is they do not need a door holder. All right. They opened doors before they got here, their car door, their house door, um, you know, that kind of thing. They don't need that. What they need is a welcome, which brings me to the next item. Most people, nearly everyone who visits a church for the first time, Here's something I want to share with you. Most everyone who visits the church for the first time is coming because something negative or chaotic or tragic or just um, altering has happened in their life. That's usually what brings people into a new church. Something happened at their former church. Something's happened in their, in their soul and their spirit. Something's happened in their family. And so when they come to a church, they are looking for community. They are looking for people to invite them in and to welcome them in. And so while I would love for you after the service to go out to the lobby, turn to your ride, go over there to the first impressions team, booth there, sign up for the training, get the information about the training. I'd love for you to do that. What I much more desire or want for you and for us is that we all look with eyes wide open at everyone that comes into our church and say genuinely and honestly, good morning, You're welcome here. You are valued. You are loved. You do not have to perform. You do not have to appear. You are just valued. You are loved. And that's what I want to tell those of you who are visiting for the first time today, those of you who are hanging out with us, if you're watching online, you are loved. You are valued. And so thank you so much for being here. As you heard earlier when Bronwyn said that after the service, I'll be out there with my wife. We'd love to meet you, shake your hand. We're brand new. We don't have a lot of friends. So maybe you can come up and be my friend. Um, I would appreciate that. Speaking of walking in with a burden or coming in with a challenge sort of thing, how many of you this week had a day that did not go as planned? Did anybody? Oh yeah. There's a few of you. Yeah. You had a, you had a day where, uh, maybe a, a spouse or a child didn't get ready on time. And so you were late. You were late for work. One of the most, uh, one of the biggest gambles you can say or make as an adult is I'll get gas in the morning. You know, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? I'll just do that in the morning because inevitably, Something will go not as planned. Maybe there was a day this week where you thought at work it was going to be a blow off day, not a lot to do. You got all your stuff done, but then a coworker doesn't show up and now you have double the amount of work. It does not go as you planned. When I say that, when I ask you the question, did you have a day or maybe a week that did not go as planned? We typically think of that in negative terms, right? We think of that as a bad thing. But it's not always bad. In fact, I would submit to you that most often when things do not go as planned, it's actually a good thing. One time I got Sonic for our family 
got the bags, you know, they give me all the bags. They stand there and read the whole receipt to you like I need that, you know, and they say all that to me and then they give us all the drinks and then I get home and I open up and they had given me an entire free burger, just an extra one. That wasn't my plan, but it did, it was good, all right? (laughs) It was a good thing. And I think honestly, if we were really gonna be honest with our hearts and our minds, with one another, really, there's a lot in life when it does not go as planned it's a good thing, right? I mean, you know, who wasn't going to marry that sweetheart you had in fourth grade, right? And you ended up marrying the one you have now. And that's good. That is a good thing. When you were young and ambitious and adventurous, you were going to grow up and move to New York City. But then you learned what property taxes are. <laughs> and you thought to yourself, Dallas is fine. Dallas is good. I like Dallas a lot. Everyone has a story about running a little late in the morning, you know, and, and you see an accident in front of you. And if you were just a few cars earlier, that would have been you. Things that do not go as planned often, very often, can be a good thing. In Genesis 50, that's where we're going to be today. Genesis 50. If you're new to a Bible, look, that's okay. If you don't have one, there's some there in the seat back. You can have that one. There's a couple tables in the lobby. We want you to have a Bible. We love the Bible. We treasure the Bible and we want you to have that very same thing. So if you're new to one, there's a table of contents in the front. You should use that. We all learned that way. But we're going to be at the end of the very first section called Genesis. So if you get to Exodus, you went a little far. Genesis, look for the big 50. You're going to scroll your eyes down until you see the little 19. In Genesis chapter 50, there were 11 dudes that... We're very thankful that things did not go as they intended. They were extremely happy that things did not go as they planned. And in the end, um, I think they were thankful for it. What we see in their story and really in ours is that God's plan is the plan. God's plan is the plan, whether we know it or not. And acknowledging that, though, can make all of the difference in our world, in our life, and our walk with Jesus. Let's pray together. And then we will um, we'll eventually get to these two verses. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for scripture. That it is true. That it is your will. Breathed out. For correction. For reproof. For edification. For teaching. God, I pray that we would align our lives with your expectations and your standards. And God, where we do not meet, you would give us the strength and the faith and the courage to change. God, today we come in with uh, maybe some burdens, some challenges, some heartbreaks, some things going on in our minds, some internal noise and some external things we got to take care of. But God, I pray for the next few minutes, we will lay those aside. We will listen. We'll listen with our minds and with our hearts to what your spirit wants to teach us. And God, we would leave here today with a, a renewed commitment to the idea that your plan is the plan. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen. We're skipping a ton of stuff here, all right? Last week, we were talking about this guy who's running from his family. His name was Jacob. God later changed his name to Israel. He runs from his brother. He goes off to a foreign country, gets a family, a big family, really big family, four wives and and 12 sons, all right? He heads back home where he's reunited with his brother. And like I said, God changes his name. He, uh, those 12 sons that he has, the youngest one's name is Joseph. The older 11 uh, get all sideways with Joseph. They get all mad at him and sibling rivalry takes it up to the very highest notch, all right? 
they decide and they plan that they're going to kill him. All right. They're going to kill their, their baby brother. But then they decide that that's, that's mean, obviously. And so they're going to sell him into slavery. They felt like that would be a better choice. All right. So they do that. And Joseph goes off and he's eventually sold into Egypt where he is serving one house and then he's falsely accused of sexual assault, ends up in prison. And in prison, he ends up, remember, I'm skipping a ton of stuff here, okay? Um, he goes from, from bottom of a pit, sold into slave, sexual assault charges um, in prison. And then he rises all the way to being second in command of the greatest nation on the planet at that point. All right? Second in command there. Then there's this huge drought, this famine. And all of the region, not just Egypt, all of the region is suffering under this. But God uses Joseph, God uses Joseph through dreams to help the people, to help the Egyptians, to help the Jews, to help all of the regional people there. It makes Egypt uber strong, uber wealthy, and it saves a ton of people. He is reunited with his dad before his dad passes away, which is good. And he's reunited with his brothers. He brings up, he ends up bringing his brothers and his dad to Egypt, puts them up in a really nice part of Egypt. They flourish as shepherds and and they're taking care of what they need to take care of. And then their dad, Jacob, we talked about last week, he dies. At that point, the older brothers are pretty nervous. They're pretty nervous about what it is that Joseph is going to do. He's very strong. He's very powerful. And they did a really horrible thing to him, right? And so they go to him and they say, listen, we will be your slaves. We will be your slaves. Just just don't kill us, all right? That's where verse 19 and 20 are. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present results, the survival of many people. There are really two responses here that Joseph is giving to his brothers. And in these two responses, we can learn so, so much about the way we perceive our life, our plans, and ultimately God's sovereignty. That first response is, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? The brothers are obviously worried about this. They are in a, in a, in a tight spot. They don't know what Joseph's going to do. Is he going to throw him in prison? Is he going to sell him slavery, give him a noogie, a purple nurple? Who knows? Because he's a brother. It's a brother thing, all right? But Joseph's response is essentially to say, I don't have a plan for you. Remember, he says, listen, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? What he's saying is, I'm not planning to do anything bad to you. I don't have this plan. I don't have this scheme. I'm not just waiting for dad um, to go and then we'll have the funeral and then I'm going to get you back. I am not planning all of this. And the reason why, The reason why really uh, teaches us. He says, am I in the place of God? So his reason comes in the form of a question. And that question has a few obvious answers. Am I in the place of God? What he's saying is, am I in control? I don't mean anything bad to you guys. I'm not going to get you back. You know why? Because I'm not in control of anything. I'm not in control of things. The obvious answer to Joseph's question, am I in the place of God, is... No. It's really interesting. Joseph's dad, the one we talked about last week, the one that came back, all that he died. Earlier on in his life, very early in his life, before Joseph was born, this must be a question that that family just asked one another. Because his mama was complaining to Jacob, his dad, about their inability to conceive. In fact, she was even blaming him for their inability to conceive. And he responds, Jacob responds to her and says, hey, 
am I in the place of God? He says, am I in control of any of this sort of stuff? You know, in their understanding and the way they perceive things, he says, I'm not in control of whether or not we have a child. Joseph is saying the same thing. I'm not in control of what is it that he's saying he's not in control of? Because here's the reality about Joseph. He's in control of a lot. Joseph is the second most powerful person in the entire planet. What is he in control of? A ton. Is he in control of whether or not people eat? Yes. Is he in control of the greatest domestic product of Egypt? Yes. He is in control of nearly everything. And Joseph responds and says, I am not in control. I don't have anything bad against you. I am not in control of your actions. That's what Joseph's saying here. Am I in the place of God? I'm not in control of your actions. I don't control what you do. In Joseph's mentality, God is the one who controls other people. God is the one who can be served. Joseph should not take his brothers as slaves because God alone is the one who should be served. In Leviticus, Leviticus 19 verse 18, this is what God says. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I'm going to read that again because it was for ancient Israel, but I think we could really apply it right now. I think we could all learn by this. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against your, uh, a member of the community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In Joseph's beliefs, God is in charge of what people do or what happens to people. That no one gets away with anything. That God is a good and a just judge and that he doesn't miss anything. So when Joseph says, I'm not in control, he says, God is. I'm not in control of your actions, God is all I can do is how I react to your actions, which according to Leviticus is to love your neighbor as yourself. What Joseph is saying is no matter what it is that you've done and you did, no matter what it is that you said and you did, no matter what it is that you came against me and you did, all I can do is control my reaction back to you, which is to love. Even though Leviticus wasn't written at that point, I believe that Joseph agrees with the idea. And here's the deal about love. And here's something that we miss as Christians. We so often say all of the right things up until the very last point. Love one another. Love your enemy as yourself. But here's the part that we we forget. Love is best shown. Love is most acutely seen. Love is most sharply contrasted when it's displayed towards those who have hurt you. Jesus says anyone can love those who love them. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you love those who would be your enemies. You love those who would hurt you. You love those who are planning to do bad against you. Joseph, thousands of years earlier, displays that very same concept. Love is a reaction best seen in reacting to pain. Augustine of Hippo says, man is most free when controlled by God alone. Here's an anonymous quote that I thought paired really well with that. Augustine says, man is most free when controlled by God alone. Anonymous says, we will be controlled either by Satan, by self, or by God. Controlled by Satan is slavery. Controlled by self is futility. And controlled by God is victory. Joseph says, I'm not in control. 
All I could do is respond. The first response to this idea of things not going Joseph's way, this idea of we will be your slaves is, look, I'm not in control of you. All I can do is love you back. Look at this next part. Let's read it. The next part really just more unpacks that same idea. It's not a new idea. It's an unpacking. He says, you planned evil against me, but God planned it for good. There's no confusion. Everyone here agrees. These brothers planned a horrible thing. In chapter 37, like I said, they planned first to kill him. They wanted to kill him. Then secondly, they planned to sell him. When you read the accounts, they sit down together and they talk it out. They literally have a conversation about killing their youngest brother and then about selling their youngest brother. And as painful as that had to be in Joseph's mind, right? Just put yourself in Joseph's mind there. Somebody said the words. He wasn't there. He wasn't in the conversation, but we can all play it out. We know how it went. Somebody says the words. Somebody comes up with the idea. Somebody agrees with it. And a bunch of people sit around and nobody stops it. That has to be one of the most painful realities in Joseph's mind. He's like, maybe it was Reuben. Reuben says, hey, let's sell him into slavery. But Reuben's always saying junk like that, right? Nobody likes Reuben. This is what Joseph's thinking, you know. But all the other ones, Simeon, Levi, all of them are just sitting and no one stops it. You ever been in a similar situation? There's gossip, there's backbiting, there's these words. And then you wish that just anybody would have stepped up and stood in the middle of that. That has to be painful for Joseph. He says, you planned evil against me. There's no sense in acting like it's not true. They've already accepted it. They've already confessed to it in the previous few verses. But he says, God planned good. God is more than able to keep his plan going. To do what he has always set out to accomplish. But the question then would be, what was God's plan? If they planned evil, and we know what that was, kill and sell. Then what was God's plan? What exactly did he intend to accomplish? The first thing is Joseph's refinement. This is something that we see. Joseph doesn't say it, but you can just clearly see it. Joseph is refined by what it is that he went through. Something that we know to be true in the light, but we often forget in the dark. Hardships, challenges, and obstacles are used by God to make us into what we need to be to do what he intends to do through us. Let me say that again. Hardships and challenges and obstacles are used by God to make us into what we need to be to do what he intends to do through us. What was it that uh, uh, Jesus' brother said? James 1, 2 through 4, he says, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know, you know this, that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And endurance has its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Various trials, challenges, hardships produce faith, endurance, maturity. This is how God works in us. Um... Y'all ever see those videos on Facebook or Instagram or something like that? The reels of people woodworking. Has anybody seen those? It's just me. The algorithm thinks I'm really into woodworking. Uh, I think it really thinks I'm into woodworking. I'm not. I'm not a woodworker. I've never uh, made things out of wood, but I will just get lost in these videos. They'll take, people will take what looks like a full grown tree. Chop the thing down. I know you got to wait for it to dry and stuff, but they'll do this and they'll, they'll take all the outside off. They'll cut it into a bunch of pieces and I'm already hooked. 
I'm like, what are we building today, you know? What's going on? This would be like a 10-minute video, and I'm waiting all the way to see this cutting board, right? And so they start, they start getting these pieces, and they, they trim off the outside, and they'll put it in this machine, and they'll slide it through there, and, and it goes in real rough, and it comes out the other side smooth. Sometimes they'll take a big old piece of it, and they'll, and they'll, they'll put it in this machine, and it spins around crazy so fast you can't see anything. And then they take a sharp instrument and, and, and stab it, or whatever they do. I don't know. They, they stick it there, and, and, and pieces are flying everywhere, everywhere. And then when they're done, it is this shape. It is, it is smooth. It is, it, it is beautiful. They'll cut the inside out of it, the outside. They'll, they'll do all this. And it is amazing to me how many times they need to sand this wood, right? Whether it's that, that machine that goes this way, whether it's by hand or by some sort of uh, mechanism, over and over they're, they're shaping this thing. And then it's done. It's like sitting there, whatever it was. It was like a, a vase. And sometimes they'll use that, that clear stuff, that... Uh, I don't know what it's called, epoxy. They'll put that stuff in there, you know? And it's sitting there and I think, this is beautiful. This is really cool. I want one of those for my office, you know? Something like that. And then they'll take some sort of liquid. I don't even know what it is. They start, they start rubbing that all over the place and, 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 and um, just polishing whatever this is. And now it is a work of art. That is what God does to us. Through challenges, and through hardship, there's this chipping off of all of the, the pride and the self-confidence. There's this, there's this um, sanding away of all of the, uh, of the brokenness and, and the lust and the arrogance. There is this, there is this smoothing, this policy. This is what God does to us. In the very same way that there are all these pieces that, 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 are, that are pulled away and chipped off and sanded down. That's what God does to us to where in the end, there is something different. There is something beautiful. Joseph is standing there in front of his brothers where a young, scared, slave prisoner far from home and all alone stood. And now stands a man of character, integrity, strength, and compassion. But here's the kicker. There are not two people. It is the one Joseph. That very same scared young man all by himself walking from Canaan to Egypt under slavery is the very same little bit wiser, little bit older man that stands in front of them because God has worked through that for Joseph's good. And the second one, Joseph says very clearly, God planned it for the good to bring about the present result. He says the survival of many people. That's the very end of verse 20. God positioned Joseph to save people. They had suffered a huge drought and a massive regional famine. And because of Joseph's position, his wisdom, and his listening to God, thousands of people were saved. You'll hear this verse or this concept. It's, it's said a million different ways. Something along the lines of what they meant for my bad, what they meant for evil, turned out good. God meant for good. It's a concept that's all over the place. You'll see, they didn't think I was good enough, but now I am rich. Or the haters all said that I couldn't, And now I am famous. Or that one girl dumped me and now women are lined up to be with me. You'll see things like this on on Instagram or our different posts, right? Am I the only, maybe it's with the woodworking stuff. I don't know, but I see this and always it's missing. Listen to me. It is missing the point. It's missing. And that may be good. You know, if, if, you, if you got fired from a job one time or if like you were cut from the varsity team and then you go on to be the greatest um, basketball player of all time, whatever, that's awesome, you know? I love that. That's good. And I'm happy for that for you. 
But the concept really here, when God gets a hold of it, is much better. It's much greater. What you planned for evil against Joseph, God planned for good to work through Joseph for the good of others. God's glory and their good. It doesn't end with Joseph. It isn't that God just planned that Joseph would be taken care of. It isn't just that God just planned that Joseph would have enough to eat. God planned that through Joseph, through his hardships, through his isolation, through his pain, through the challenges, through the slavery and through the prison and through the false accusations, that through that God would save thousands of people. God is always working in you before he works through you. God is going to work in you to work through you. It may seem illogical. It may seem not fair. Why is it that I have to put in the blood and the sweat and the tears so that other people will benefit? Well, listen, life isn't fair. All right. So get over it. Secondly, that's how it works. And it's better. God works in you to bless other people. God works in them to bless you. That's why being a part of a church, that's why being a part of a Sunday school class and a small group is so important. It's so very important because all of the one another's in the Bible, love one another, care for one another, challenge one another, hold one another accountable. All of that is God working in you to bless others, working in them to bless you. What? was planned for evil, God planned for good. Let me say it again. God will work in you to work through you. God will work in you before he works in others. So we can see this on a micro and a macro scale. What God has done in Joseph's life is what God has been doing all through Genesis. There is no human evil or silliness or rebellion that messes up God's plan. He told them, don't eat that one. They ate that one and God still works out his plan. God says, I want you guys to scatter Scatter all over the place and represent me across the... And they won't. So he still works out his plan. Every intention of their heart was evil. God still works out his plan. Corey Ten Boom says, God has no problems, only plans. God has no problems, only plans. From the very beginning of Genesis, we're ending Genesis today. We end with Genesis, uh, we end at the end of Joseph's life. It's a really cool story. The first 11 chapters are this prehistory. The last several chapters, all the way to 50, are this slow down, focusing on this family as God is working his plan out through that family. Creation, then it fell, and now he's working out redemption. And all the way through Genesis, we see that plan happen. In Genesis 3.15, God predicts, God prophesies, that even though Satan was evil, he will eventually be destroyed. In Genesis 12, God tells Abraham that through you, I will bring about a blessing to all of the people on the planet. In Genesis 49, when Jacob is blessing his sons, he looks at Judah and he says, from you, Judah, there will come a king who will sit on his throne forever and he will reign and he will rule and he will be just God is working out his plan throughout this entire story. This is the main idea. This is the main concept behind Genesis. No human foolishness messes up God's plan. No matter what we stumble through, God will still walk through it. God is always working out his plan and eventually it gets all the way to the cross. 
where the most evil act ever takes place. Where Satan thinks he's going to fight heaven. Where human religious establishment is intimidated by this young, popular rabbi. Where the masses of people would rather have their bellies fed or their heads entertained than to change and to follow God. All of that mixes together in a setting in which a nation cannot have any sort of upheaval. And so all of that together kills the son of God. And there for a few moments, there for a few days, it looks like what was planned for evil worked. But God planned good. And through that, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, creation, fall, redemption. The restoration of the relationship between humanity and God. What God did in Genesis 3, what God did in 12 and 49 and 50 at the cross, at Calvary, at the empty tomb, God made redemption possible. And so you come in here today all broken and heart, heartache. All of the plans that you've done in your life, the best that you could do, just don't ever seem to work out. You try to plan to be a better person and you're not. You try to do better and you don't. You try to perform and appear. You try to accomplish and your best laid plans end. And I'm telling you, that is proof that you need Jesus. We all need Jesus. So the Bible tells us if we will trust him, if we will, if we follow his plan for our lives, then he will save us and walk in this life with us and in the second, the next life with us. In just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to that. You come down here. I'll be down here with my wife. There'll be other ministers, counselors down here. We'd love to to chat with you if you want to accept Jesus as your savior. The other thing is that the very next step after that is baptism. And I'm really encouraged. We have two adult women who are scheduled to be baptized in the next couple of weeks. And that's a good thing. And I want to encourage you in that same way. If you've never been baptized by immersion, then now is that time to do that. Now is the time to schedule that and to say, I want to follow, I want to make a, a statement that I trust in Jesus. So you could do that in just a moment. So to take this with you, here's what I want you to take with you from this deal. God's plan is the plan. Y'all repeat that. I'll say it, then you say it. God's plan is the plan. plan. That's right. That's what we're learning today. That's what we're going to walk out of here knowing that God's plan is the plan. Joseph was secure in the will of God and it made all the difference. For him, it fleshed out with forgiveness. He was a great leader. He just let God work out the plan. It wasn't up to him. He was just faithful, loving to other people and faithful where he could be. I'm sure he couldn't understand being sold into slavery, but God already shown him in a dream that his brothers would kneel before him. So he trusted in that plan. In another plan, God tells him there's going to be um, surplus and then there's going to be famine. And so he trusts that plan. You got to know by year five or six of surplus that people were going like, things are good. Why do you keep storing it up? Because Joseph said, because God has a plan. God's plan is the plan. So listen to me, this is the same encouragement for you. The worst thing you can do as a parent is to believe that ultimately you are in control of how they turn out. That is true. The worst thing you can do in a, as a parent is to ultimately believe that you're in control. You're not. 
You're just holding on and praying and wishing and mitigating damages. That's what parents do. As a student, you realize that honoring God, that working on your character and your integrity matters just as much as your report card. I've been a grown-up for a little while now, and no one has ever asked me if I was on the honor roll. Not one single time. But my character and my integrity have made all the difference in the decisions that I make and the life that I live. God is in control. Spouses cannot control their spouse. It's a partnership. Two people 100% committed to Christ and each other. Equals fighting for and submitting to each other for the glory of God. Why? Because God's plan is the plan. It's not my plan. It's not her plan. It's God's plan. And as a leader, maybe a boss, you should realize that you are in that spot by God's plan. You are a steward by God's plan. And someday you won't be. And so in the midst of all of that, you steward it, you are faithful, you serve, you love, you platform others. Because God's plan is the plan. Warren Wearsby says, what God the Father planned for you, and God the Son purchased for you on the cross, God the Spirit personalizes for you and applies it to your life as you yield to him. I got an associate's degree from Trinity Valley Community College, the Cardinals. Um, if you if you watch the show Cheer on Netflix, the second season is about TVCC. Go Cards, all right? The first, uh, first season is about Navarro. Boo Navarro, all right? We don't like Navarro. We like TVCC. And while I was there, God used that experience, that's the three-year, two-year degree. God used that to work in me in, in a lot of ways. In particular, through a ministry called the Baptist Student Ministry. It's a ministry that we as a church fund. When you give generously to the church, a portion of every dollar you give will eventually find its way to over, I think it's 136 campuses. Julio told me this week, 137 campuses across Texas. You're funding ministry for 19-year-olds like I was back then to serve and to love on their community. And in that, I learned how to preach I developed as a preacher. I developed as a leader. I developed as a missionary. All of that through that Baptist student ministry. And one day, because of the work that we were doing at the BSM, I got word that I could get a scholarship at this school over in Mississippi. Now, I spent my childhood in Mississippi, so that sounded good. And the name of the school was William Carey College. William Carey College. And my middle name is William. And my girlfriend at the time, her name was Carey. So this makes sense, right? This is a good plan. Guys, I was 19, all right? As far as I plan things. William, Carey, this looks good. And it's going to be a scholarship. So that was my plan. That is the plan that I had. And then one day at the BSM's lunch, I'm sitting across from my mentor, and I find out that he went to this little tiny college in the middle of Dallas that I have never heard of. But because I respected him, I felt Holy Spirit guiding me to change those plans. To follow God's plan for my life. And to go to Criswell in Dallas. It was there that I met Jackie. Carrie who, right? (laughs) Bye, Felicia. (laughs) That was God's plan. And it was a far better plan. Had I followed my plan, I'd be ministering off in Mississippi somewhere. And now today, 
I'm pastoring here. I like God's plan better. My encouragement for you is as you look back or plan ahead, just recognize God's sovereignty. Be confident in that. Rest in it and be thankful because here's the reality. God's plan is the plan. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this morning and all of the ways that you have blessed us. God, I pray for our hearts. I pray for those who are disappointed because some plan didn't work out the way that they thought it should. And I know that even saying that you are sovereign doesn't always take away the hurt or the sting. God, I pray for those who have tried all of their plans and that they're at the end of their rope. I don't know what else to do. They've just about given up. I pray that they would recognize that just about giving up is the very best time to give in, to accept you as their savior, to trust you as their hero. God, I pray for those who are here today, surely, confidently, there are some here today who have not yet trusted you as their savior. I pray that you would give them the strength, the boldness, the courage, just the compassion to step out and to walk forward. And be today's the day that I trust in God's plan. God, I pray for the rest of us. We'll we'll amen God's plan is the plan. We'll like it. We'll tweet it. And then tomorrow we'll sit down and we'll work out our own to-do list. And our own schedule. So I pray that this would become alive in us. We'd be confident, trust in your steps and in your way. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Y'all stand with me. Stand with us. We're going to give you a moment to respond. If you're in the balcony, if you're on the floor, whatever it is Holy Spirit has put on your heart, I can't, I don't know. I don't know what he, what he told you. Now's the perfect time as they sing for you to respond to what Holy Spirit is teaching you. Step forward now.